Hey, it's Tom. I'm back with episode 20 of the Cannaboomers podcast. You know, there's been about 70 years of coordinated misinformation about cannabis. It really is past time to set the record straight. So I was very pleased to connect with Amanda Siebert, author of The Little Book of Cannabis, How Marijuana Can Improve Your Life. Amanda is up in Vancouver, so she's got some experience with the Canadian model. And uh, her little 200-page book is really user-friendly, full of case studies, and really applies a lot of science. And it's very well footnoted, very authoritative. So I was really glad to have her on the show, and I think you'll enjoy our chat. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review at iTunes or wherever you download. And if you have a guest you'd like us to interview or any feedback at all, please drop me a line at tom at cannaboomers.com or leave us a comment at cannaboomers, cannaboomers with a K.com. Thanks for listening. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Good. So you had a little snowstorm tonight. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. Vancouver is not very good at dealing with the snow, so it took me uh, twice as long as usual to get home. Oh, uh, man, I hear you. <laughs> We're, uh, San Diego's gotten more rain this year than I've ever seen in 35 years here. Wow. And uh, people just, they don't slow down. Um, they just yep. keep going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens so rarely here that people think, oh, I can get away with not getting snow tires. And so I live in a city that's got a couple hills and you just... Yeah, hearing people spin out and that's uh, not not so good. <laughs> yeah, I I grew up in Michigan, but in a small town. Oh yeah. So I, it just freaks me out when I see freeway scenes, and I, I saw one the other day on mm -hmm. on uh, Twitter or somewhere where all these cars were just ramming into each other because nobody was slowing down. <laughs> mm, yeah. It's For episode twenty, we have Amanda Siebert author of The Little Book of Cannabis, How Marijuana Can Improve Your Life, which was published just last year. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tom. The book came out in the fall? Yes, it came out on October 17th, which uh, in Canada was the same day that cannabis was legalized across the country. Perfect timing. Nice. Mm -hmm. And you continue to be a journalist as your day job in, in addition to being an author. Uh, yeah, sort of. Uh, right now I'm doing a little bit of everything, some journalism work, some copywriting work, so I sort of just brand myself as a writer. <laughs> and now you have a great specialty. Yes, I do. I mean, cannabis. There's uh, so much to discover and so much to learn about it, and I've only just begun. <laughs> the legalization thing, uh, you know, what's happened in California, I know it's ongoing up there, and we've talked about it before. It's not really a binary state. There's a lot of evolving that has to do to get it right. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, you hear it said very often in Canada that this is uh, legalization 1.0, you know, it's uh, the beginning. And so, um, like anything, you know, there are certain kinks to be worked out, but I think it really speaks to um, how progressive uh, a country Canada is. And really, uh, I think it sets a bit of, of an example for other countries. We sort of did see, you know, after October 17th, um, when Canada legalized cannabis on a recreational level, it was a little bit like a domino effect. You saw a few countries um, legalizing cannabis on the medicinal level, or at least considering legalizing it on a medicinal level. So uh, I really do think it's sort of uh, the beginning of a, a change worldwide, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah. Uruguay came on board, South mm -hmm. Korea. I'm not mm -hmm. sure who else yet, but mm -hmm. yeah. 
Definitely. I mean, just um, hearing a country like England uh, or the United Kingdom, pardon me, discuss, um, you know, the possibility of, of legalizing cannabis medicinally and, and bringing it in. And, you know, especially because there's a lot of, um, I mean, worldwide, there's a lot of stigma, but particularly in the UK, you know, you hear about that. So uh, it's it's refreshing to see governments across across the world sort of looking at the substance in a different way. Can of boomers, we try to put content out for baby boomers, but mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of other listeners as well. People my age have lived through being lied to for a long time, but we knew that this weed was not evil. It was not going to cause you to scramble your brain or anything. So there's sort of a, a new look at it a, a few decades later, and we have a lot more information about what it does. I really like the way your book is laid out, where you start with kind of the first thing it can do that can really help your wellness is improve your sleep. Mm-hmm. Totally. I think sleep is such a huge, um, a critical area for people and one that so many of us, um, you know, suffer from issues related to it. So uh, whether you take a long time to fall asleep or perhaps you're like me, you find yourself waking up <laughs> frequently throughout the night. Um, this is something that personally I've, I've found cannabis to um help with. And, and of course, you know, um, anecdotally, you hear that cannabis users find that if they're using cannabis for a specific, um, uh, a specific ailment, whether that be pain or, or stress and anxiety or, or, or what have you, that one of the, um, positive effects of their use is they, they experience improved sleep. Uh, I said anecdotally, but there's also lots of, um, uh, research to back that up as well. So, um, there are a number of ways that um, cannabis can help you with your sleep. And uh, one of them for sure is uh, decreasing uh, sleep latency. That's just a fancy way of saying the time it takes for you to fall asleep. Um, but of course, other ways as well. And it all depends on, on your body and your, um, your makeup and, and your, your personal endocannabinoid system. Um, but THC has definitely been, been shown to help um, with, decreasing sleep latency and also uh it actually increases melatonin production in the brain so if you've ever taken uh, melatonin for um for something you know maybe you've been on a a trip and you want to get your sleep schedule back on track you've used melatonin you know that it does help you sleep so uh, another positive effect of thc on sleep yeah getting good sleep is so foundational to just feeling well and feeling better the rest of the day (laughs) the opponents of legalized cannabis have always said well the whole medicinal thing is just a ruse. It's just people who want to get stoned and, and sit around. But what you find, I think, is A, it can help you sleep. And then B, you may discover along that route that it mm-hmm. helps you relax. And mm-hmm. there's other relaxants that are a lot more damaging to your body. Absolutely. I mean, um, for myself, you know, using cannabis, that was one of the first things I, I realized. And when I when I began using it, it was sort of more as a, a recreational kind of um substance, but I quickly learned that, uh, you know, there were positive medicinal benefits as well on my, my health and wellness. You know, I mentioned sleep, but as well, stress and anxiety. You know, when I started using cannabis consistently, I was in college. Uh, I'm sure, you know, college, um, many of you are, are aware it's a stressful time. Um, and I found that when I was using cannabis in that instance, uh, I was using, not only was I consuming less alcohol, but I, you know, I was sleeping better. I was more relaxed. I was able to work through my studies more effectively. Uh, I wasn't arguing with my parents as often. Um, and yeah, I think that, you know, that relaxation is, is really another, um, 
uh, not just relaxation, pardon me, but, you know, reducing stress and anxiety. Uh, that's among the top three reasons that cannabis users actually decide to consume is because it brings that sense of relaxation. And I think, you know, um, our, our current world, you know, the state of everything uh, requires that you have some way to, to relax and to calm your mind. And um, for so many people, that's cannabis. Absolutely. I mean, it's modern living is uh, mm -hmm. a stressful enterprise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some of the other things that you get into, um, you know, helping support people who have cancer. Mm -hmm. There's a yes. lot there. Definitely. Now, this is an area that, that people who are perhaps doubters of, of medicinal cannabis, they, they scoff at the idea of cannabis um, helping people, you know, get rid of or manage their cancer. Um, and the way I sort of cover it in the book is I speak about cannabis as a way to sort of um, potentiate or assist those those traditional treatments like chemotherapy and radiation. Uh, and, and what I, I mean by that is, you know, it's been shown that cannabis can actually help those um, those treatments work more effectively. Um, you do hear of, of people using just cannabis to um, quell their cancer, uh, but I'm very, very hesitant of using the word cure around cannabis just because it's been shown, um, you know, through, through some of the experts that I spoke with and in, in studies that um, in order to keep cancer out of the body, you need to continue using cannabis. And so uh, that for me is why I will never use the word cure around cannabis and cancer, but I do firmly believe that it uh, can be an effective um, uh, medicine for, for cancer patients. And, you know, yes, of course, um, there, there are studies to show that cannabis can help to kill cancer cells. Um, but also, you know, uh, the, that end of life stage, that the, the troubles that come with um, having cancer, perhaps the anxiety, the depression, uh, the nausea, um, cannabis has been shown to be super, super effective um, in those other areas as well, not just in, in treating and killing cancer. And pain management, right? Mm -hmm. um, oh, of course, yes, I can't believe I missed that. Pain management is huge. <laughs> we all know that opiates have been a catastrophe. So here's a non-toxic uh, substance that has never killed anybody and can at least let people compartmentalize their pain um, and, and deal with it. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting way that you put it compartmentalized because I was just thinking of, um, like in my book, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of uh, Mark Ware. He's a, a physician in Montreal, uh, in Canada, and he um, also works out of McGill University. Um, and what he told me about his experience in treating individuals who suffer from chronic pain uh, is that across the board, many of them sort of describe the way cannabis works in a similar way in that they say that, um, how does he put it? I, want, I have to get it right. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not as effective. Um, cannabis uh, helps take or doesn't take the pain away from me it takes me away from the pain so mm. i think the use of the word compartmentalize really works there and i think it's um such a kind of profound way of describing it i mean he you know in his experience as well um cannabis has also been shown to be a much safer um treatment for pain than than so much of uh, what is already out there. I mean, you mentioned opioids. Um, I, you know, I totally understand the place of prescription, uh, prescription drugs, but I think they've definitely been um, overused and overprescribed. And as a result, we're seeing, you know, this crisis that has sort of taken North America by storm. And, um, you know, I am hearing whispers that there are more and more physicians that are um, looking to cannabis as sort of that, that 
first line of defense. And I really hope that that trend does catch on. Uh, I think that would be a really effective way of, uh, or, or could be an effective way of um, starting to sort of chip away at this opioid crisis. You've got a chapter on it towards yeah. the end, right? About the exit drug. Yes, exactly. Um, it's great how this is all segueing into <laughs> to the next thing. Um, so that to me is definitely um, something that really um, has also has potential, I think. Um, you know, it's funny, you mentioned that, that we've been lied to our whole lives about cannabis. You know, for my generation, the thing we, we were taught was that cannabis is a gateway drug. Um, it's going to make you use cocaine and heroin and, and all these other things. Um, and what I discovered in my research is that not only uh, is that sort of gateway drug notion um, false, it was, and it was certainly our Pardon me. It was applied to tobacco um, in the 1940s. That's sort of where that term actually came from, uh, the gateway drug. And then, um, you know, uh, it got sort of hijacked and was used to describe cannabis. And so since, I guess, the 1970s or 80s, we've thought that, oh, yes, cannabis can, can lead you to use more harmful substances. But what we're discovering is that, in fact, um, it can be used as an exit drug. And what that means is that it can um, help you to uh, reduce or eliminate um, the number of uh, other substances that you're using, whether it be alcohol, um, opioids, SSRIs. Um, we're seeing a, a, a huge increase in, the, in, in research that shows that cannabis can actually um, work as a great substitute for a lot of these other things that people have you know, become accustomed to using. Um, and it's a little bit counterintuitive for, for people who may have been raised with this <laughs> gateway drug um, theory, but I think it's also very um, you know, reassuring uh, and you know, perhaps will provide us with a way to sort of, um, you know, work on this opioid crisis a little bit, but also, um, you know, some of the earliest research uh, that sort of um, uh, examined this this concept uh, came out in the, the 1940s uh, about alcohol. So there's lots of ways that cannabis can actually be used um, as a substitute or, or an exit drug, as I put it in the book. One thing it brings to mind for me is the, a book like this, you can hand it to people. It's fact-based. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, we talk about having been lied to for 70 years. Mm -hmm. there, there was a propaganda campaign that uh, was, was quite successful in convincing generations of people that this was a dangerous uh, substance. And mm -hmm. is there a countervailing um, pro-cannabis uh, side where when you hear some of the things about CBD, it's just mm -hmm. fantastic. It's almost mm -hmm. like unbelievable, everything it does. So what I really appreciate about your book is it's well footnoted. It's well referenced. You, you back up every assertion mm -hmm. with the available science. And that's the kind of work that we have to do to get this book in the hands of doctors and, and other and policymakers mm -hmm. and people who are making decisions based on the facts and not folklore and not mm -hmm. paranoia or propaganda. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's definitely a, a middle that we haven't quite found yet. We have, you know, some some really extreme beliefs on either side about what cannabis can do. And um, for me, it was very important to have all of those um things referenced in my book. Um, you know, I'm a writer, I'm not a doctor or a, a scientist. Um, but in being a journalist, you know, have, um, I'm, I'm able to sort of examine these questions and look at the research. I mean, one thing for me that was kind of frustrating to hear as a journalist before um, taking on this book was, oh, we don't have enough information, there's not enough research. Um, and what I was finding that, you know, there, there was research, and perhaps, you know, uh, it 
was buried or, or, or worded in a way that was not accessible to people. Um, and of course, you know, there's more to be done. I think now that cannabis is legalized in, in Canada and, and um, you know, other places around the world, we're able to research it in a more nuanced way, um, in a way that really represents the way cannabis is actually used by consumers. You know, a lot of the times um, in studies, you see isolated THC or isolated CBD being used. And oftentimes that's not how people are actually using cannabis. You know, the products that they're using have a little bit of everything and perhaps they're uh, in oil and perhaps they're they're smoking flour. And, and so um, now we can really look at it in that way. But um, yeah, this, this, this kind of idea that there's not enough research, um, I think, you know, that's, a, that's about to uh, change. I think a lot of the people that prescribe to that idea um, soon will not be able to make that statement anymore. That's my, my hope anyway. Well, yeah. I mean, for a long time in the U.S., I think there was one farm in Louisiana that grew some mm. kind of lousy weed that um, mm -hmm. was the basis of all any clinical study that mm. was approved. But, yeah, hopefully that's all going to blow up pretty soon. Mm -hmm, definitely. I mean, there's there's a lot of money running into it right now. I mean, you can see some stocks that are just people mm -hmm. are investing mm -hmm. a lot. And it, it's a very interesting time in this industry. Are you covering, are you still covering cannabis for other publications? Mm -hmm. um, right now I'm doing a little bit of work for a publish, publication called Leafly. They have, uh, I think they're in the States as well and in Canada and all over. Um, I've been writing a few odd things here and there. Um, I actually wrote my first piece for the New York Times in November, which was incredibly surreal. And I'm still sort of like, oh, wow, I can't even yeah, <laughs> believe that's, that happened. Congratulations. Um, that's the big time. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I, might, I am trying to... Um, work on a couple of journalism pieces here and there. Uh, and then, as I mentioned before, I do a little bit of work for um, different companies in the cannabis space uh, up in Canada. And I am actually chipping away at a proposal for a second book. Um, so, yes, it's definitely a busy time, an exciting time. Um, and I'm sort of just eager to see um, what happens, you know, not just here in Canada, but uh, around the world, especially in the United States. Mm -hmm. So when you first sat down to write this, what kind of challenges and obstacles were in your way? Did people go, are you crazy? Why would you do that? Um, no, actually, I found that people were quite receptive. Um, people were very generous with their time. You know, um, the way I structure the book, I start each chapter off with a case study where I spoke with an individual uh, who used cannabis in a specific way. Um, and, and everyone I, I approached or, or, you know, I sort of just threw it out there on Twitter. Hey, would you be willing to chat with me for this? And I got more responses than I knew what to do with, um, you know, and then when it came time to speak with experts and researchers and scientists and physicians, um, you know, they're all incredibly generous with, with, um, with their knowledge. And I think that's one thing about this industry that it's, it's, it's quite, uh, I don't know, I'm going to use the word like magnificent because, you know, there's such a dearth of, um, of understanding on some level. And so when people are open about their, their knowledge, uh, you know, they're willing to share their, their, their research and speak to me for 45 minutes to an hour or more, um, you know, that's something that I can translate and, and, um, you know, present to, to readers. And I think, uh, that's great. That's how we really, we start to break down the stigma 
you know, associated with uh, cannabis and people who use it. But we also provide people with information about something that, you know, perhaps they've never been exposed to or they've been afraid to. So in terms of challenges, I mean, I guess I would say the biggest challenge was time. <laughs> um, I was working a full-time job at a newspaper while I was writing this book. And so I uh, worked myself to the bone. But um, I would say that, you know, it was really um, a wonderful process. Um, and people were like, I, I, I'm stumbling over my words here because I'm, I'm still like stunned that people were so generous with their, their personal stories and, and their knowledge on the subject. Yeah. Well, I, I've done some freelance too, and it's evenings and weekends and yeah, you can really get yeah. run down. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like nonstop. So trying to take a little bit of a break, but you know, it's a busy time in the industry. So, um, working vacations it is, I guess. <laughs> can I ask, is the second book uh, about cannabis as well? Yes, uh, it will be about cannabis. And what I would like to do in the next book, without giving too much away, um, is sort of focus on uh, the discussions around cannabis and mental health. And I think this book will probably be far less prescriptive and more of an exploration of the, the research and the subject matter and um you know, lots of conversations with experts and stuff, because it is a much more sort of nuanced area um, and something I'd really like to explore. Well, there is a book out about a connection with, between cannabis and schizophrenia, which mm -hmm. there are a lot of. Mm -hmm. Oh, is this the Alex Berenson book? The one yes. You, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I've heard a lot about that. That's been in the media a lot lately. And so that um, kind of, I wouldn't say that it had anything to do with my um, decision to, to focus on mental health. It's funny that I sort of made the decision then it, and then a few weeks later this came out in the news that this book had been written. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, it just sort of speaks to um, all the different opinions and beliefs that we have about cannabis, the stigma associated with it, um, the residual ideas, uh, these prohibition era kind of ideas that, um, you know, some people still feel the need to proliferate. And so, um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I haven't read the book, so I can't say much about it, but I think that when it comes to something like schizophrenia or, or bipolar disorder, you know, these are very, um, tricky, uh, conditions, schizophrenia. We, you know, we have studies that show that, um, individuals who are predisposed to it, if they consume cannabis, that they may bring that out. Um, but we also have research to show that individuals who use schizophrenia, um, a lot of them really like to use cannabis to treat their symptoms. And so, uh, rather than, you know, presenting a, is it this or that? I think I would like to sort of explore those nuances. Um, and yeah, a much, a much kind of heavier subject. So probably won't be a, a little book of cannabis per se. <laughs> yeah. That's a big undertaking, but it's important too. Um, yeah. Uh, I wish you luck on that. That that will take some time for sure. I'll probably need it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, the U.S. is maybe on its way to federal legalization. Uh, mm -hmm. Fingers crossed. I mean, the states we're at. I think thirty-two states now, um, between eleven or twelve, where it's for adult slash recreational use, and then the rest are for medical use. But mm -hmm. um, so more than half of the states and, um, you know, some of the people running for president in the next round are going to be pro-cannabis. Mm -hmm. um, what, what can the United States learn from Canada? 
Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think for myself, one of, and, and you know, for a lot of people um, in Canada, I think one of the biggest things that the federal government missed um, was presenting uh, individuals who have a criminal record for cannabis with some sort of um, expungement option. I think mm-hmm. it's a kind of a like gross oversight to legalize a substance and then leave behind all these people who uh, did time or, you know, maybe now they're having trouble finding a job, they can't cross the border, they can't travel anywhere. Um, those people deserve some sort of apology, some sort of recognition, some sort of opportunity to come back from that um so for me i mean that's the if the united states you know legalized cannabis and offered people an opportunity for expungement i think that would be incredible um um, i think you know in other areas for sure um I mean, it's already happening in the United States, but um, just the, the structure of things, I'm sure it'll be different because, you know, of the state versus provincial system in Canada. But um, yeah, there's just the many levels of government that are all allowed to sort of make different decisions on who can smoke where and, and what's legal and what isn't in terms of um, consumption, uh, those sort of differences from province to to province make it a little bit um, confusing. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the biggest thing for me is that sort of expungement piece, you know, providing people with um, an option to have their records cleared. Um, you know, if everyone else is allowed to, to use the substance without um, without any sort of, um, you know, arrest or, or penalty, then I think it's time to uh, provide that to the people who, who perhaps, you know, made a mistake or, or what have you when it was prohibited. And there are millions of those people. Oh, I mean, in the United States. Yeah, I won't get yeah. into it. That's, we could do a whole podcast on that. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a, a, a social justice issue, really. Absolutely. Um, and it, it would be huge. There are still vested interests who are out there telling, promulgating the narrative that this is a dangerous drug. Oh, uh, you yes. know, there, there are the alcohol industry, obviously, the prescription drug industry. They have a lot to lose if we all clean out our medicine cabinets and use this for pain and for mm-hmm. insomnia and for anxiety. and. Definitely. Yeah, organizations like um, SAM, you know, we had, I think, uh, before... Um, legalization occurred in Canada when we had all of these hearings, we had individuals from SAM uh, come up and speak to our government. And I remember watching that and just thinking, wow, like, you know, this is something that we are thankfully moving past, but it's still so, um, ah, just to see it, it that way. I just, yeah, it what, what made is... me sad because I know that there's so many States in, in, in the United States that have great, you know, cannabis. And then, you know, you still have these people who think it's absolutely terrible and want to convince everyone that it's, you yeah. know, going to make people violent and, and all these other things. So what is yeah. Sam? I'm not familiar with that. Um, I'm forgetting the, let me just look it up. I'm forgetting the name of the organ with the, um, Smart Approaches to Marijuana oh. is the is the uh, it's a nonprofit organization, but essentially they're they're very opposed to legalization and commercialization. They think that you know it's tobacco 2.0, and um, yeah, it was kind of interesting to see them come and present their ideas to the Canadian government. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a 
uh, founded by, or there's a man, the man in charge of it, his name is Kevin Sabe. Okay, yeah. yes, I've heard the name mm-hmm. before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Has this book kind of propelled you into the spotlight? Um, and are you comfortable, if, if that is so, uh, being a spokesperson for this cause? That's a great question. I mean, as a as a journalist who is often, you know, in journalism school, they tell you that the writer is never part of the story. Um, so it's sometimes strange for me to be on the other side of um, the interview process, asking questions rather or answering questions rather than asking them. I will admit, uh, I'm a little bit. Um, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the idea of constantly or not constantly, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm stepping outside of my comfort zone. Let's put it that way. But Mm -hmm. I really, honestly, uh, I feel that tinge of, of anxiety for a moment. And then I get talking about something I really love to talk about. Um, and I see the way, um, people's, you know, faces change when, when we talk about these stories of, um, individuals lives really being being saved by by this plant um it gets me excited and then all of that anxiety kind of melts away um and yeah i mean i am very um happy to sort of advocate for um for cannabis and for for cannabis users um you know i am myself am a a medicinal cannabis patient um i use cannabis for ptsd and you know i i i've seen how it has affected other people's lives in such a positive way so uh i am totally okay to get over that little bit of anxiety um for that for that purpose do you ever have to just pinch yourself and go i can't believe this (laughs) every day every day (laughs) every day I get out of bed and I'm like oh wow this is very cool I am so grateful to to be speaking about something that has brought so much positivity to my life yeah I mean we've come a long way in in 10 years Um, we're on the cusp I think of of big stuff to come so the kind of work you're doing it definitely helps the cause I think Hmm. oh thank you I hope it does I mean um if you would have told me five years ago that I was going to write a book about cannabis and and uh, be sort of thrust into this industry, um, I, I perhaps would have doubted you for a moment. But, you know, now it just feels like the right thing. And I'm, I'm just so happy to uh, to be able to talk about it so openly. I remember, you know, having conversations about cannabis and um in socials class in high school and you know it was uncomfortable for some people they didn't they were afraid to even talk about it and so uh, yeah that we were able to be so open about it that more and more people are coming out of the cannabis closet I think uh, this is just the beginning so that's the exciting part for me yeah my previous guest Abby Epstein was one of the mm. producers of Weed the People and the whole movie, the whole documentary is about sort of this underground effort yeah. to help little kids survive. <laughs> you know, oh, I love that. that why movie. is it underground? I mean, so, yeah. yeah, shining a light on all these stories is a huge public service. Absolutely. I think, you know, for so many people, the one thing that brings them, um, I guess, you know, or that allows them to sort of open their mind to this idea that cannabis can be a, a powerful medicinal uh uh, powerful medicine um, is that personal experience. You know, they meet someone who's used cannabis in a certain way, or or they they see something like in that Weed the People movie. Oh my goodness! Like I think I was crying through the first, like in, within the first five minutes, I was like, Ooh. you know, it's <laughs> it's powerful stuff. And so I think you know the power of story to to um, be able to share it in that way and and let people know that um, it's not the scary substance you were raised to think it is. Um, really uh, has the power to to affect change 
yeah, the demonization of it, we're hopefully getting past and uh, onto a better yeah. place. Do you care to make any predictions about the next five or 10 years? Um, do, you, do you have a crystal ball and do you have any insights into where we're going? Hmm, I wish I had a crystal ball. Um, and in terms of insights, I, I'm not really sure that I have any, but I could tell you sort of what I would like to see or what I what I hope will occur. I mean, um, in in Canada, one of the things that we're sort of experiencing um, in terms of the legal cannabis market is, you know, a lot of the, the legal products on the market uh, perhaps are not um, matching the quality of what uh, – was once or was and still is available on the black market. Um, I'm from uh, British Columbia, so I'm, you may have heard of BC Bud. Um, you know, the thing is, consumers here are incredibly intelligent when it comes to their their cannabis, and they they're very picky. Um, and so, my hope is that, and my prediction too, I guess, is that um, in time we'll see that sort of um, be reflected in the market because as it stands, you know, a lot of the, the cannabis that you can get legally is a little bit drier than you might like. Perhaps the selection's not there. Um, you know, uh, edibles aren't illegal yet, or pardon me, aren't legal yet. Um, and so those things are all coming. I think within the year we should have um, legal edibles and, and concentrates in Canada. There's some new legislation that uh, will hopefully be coming out um in the winter. Um, but beyond that, I think it, we just need to see more of these growers who have sort of given um, British Columbia and, and Canada the, the name it has for cannabis. So many of these people have, you know, spent their lives um, living and working underground and, and telling people, you know, they're in construction and this and that when really they're growing this, this fabulous cannabis. And so I would like to see um, those really high quality products um, coming to market um, yeah, and and along with that, you know, a sort of refocusing on um, the benefits that can come with cannabis uh, cannabis consumption. You know, it's funny here in Canada to me that we have this medical program that we've had since two thousand and one. Um, but the government doesn't really like to talk about, you know, how many people are, are, uh, utilizing um, that program and how many people are benefiting from it. Um, so. Along with, you know, better quality product, I think it would be great to see um, some emphasis put on how cannabis, uh, how our program here medicinally is, is successful. Uh, yeah, because right now it's sort of not really discussed. Uh, and I, I know for a fact that it's something that uh, people really do do greatly benefit from. Mm-hmm. You know, people also lose sight of the fact that it's a very personalized medicine. I, I didn't realize that edibles aren't aren't yet legal up there. That's kind of astounding, but mm-hmm. there's smoking, there's vaping, there's oils, yeah. there's concentrates, there's mm-hmm. transdermal patches. Um, mm-hmm. There's it's a very versatile plant, right? Oh, so, you know, there's sativa, there's indica. Some mm-hmm. people say those have no meaning anymore, but mm-hmm. there's different cultivars, I guess, is the preferred mm-hmm. term, mm-hmm. that are going to have different effects, and each person has to sort of experiment mm-hmm. to find out, right? Definitely, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, that's the thing about cannabis it's so um personalized and that's the reason a lot of physicians decide to stay away from it because they're perhaps you know afraid that oh you know that's it's just so much work to to take on but um i think it's it's really interesting and you know every physician that i've spoken with um who who does sort of include cannabis within their practice the thing they they've told me about why they've done that is because so many of their patients have 
you know, began to ask them about it. Um, so I always tell people, you know, even if you think your doctor is going to shoo you away and say, no, you shouldn't be doing that, ask them anyway about cannabis because, um, you know, the more people that are bringing this uh, topic to their physicians, the more physicians are going to be considering it. And we've definitely sort of seen that uh, happening in Canada. A person who's interested in using cannabis mm -hmm. is going to be listening more to their own body. They're going to mm -hmm. take more responsibility for their health. And if you're the right kind of doctor, I would think you would welcome that opportunity to have a patient who's really focused on their health. Absolutely. I mean, that and, of course, the the side effects, I think, um, when you consider the side effects associated with some prescription medication versus cannabis, to me, it feels a little bit like a no-brainer. But I do respect that some people, you know, their their bodies don't work with cannabis. Maybe they don't enjoy it. Um, uh, I, I do respect that. I'm not here to, to push it on anyone. But when I look at things like the side effect profile of, of certain medications. Um, oh, my and, God. Some yeah. of the commercials. I mean, <laughs> oh my if, goodness. if you're a baby boomer and you watch baby boomer programming, you are just <laughs> inundated with these commercials for, you know, oh, all yeah. sorts of things. And, you know, some of the drugs are for the constipation you get from taking the other drugs. And, oh, totally. you know, it's crazy. It is crazy. Like, I... I I just find it so laughable that you watch these commercials and it's like people that are laughing and having a great time while the narrator's like side effects may include heart palpitations, you know, narcolepsy. Like <laughs> I don't oh, just yeah. making that up, but you know, I, I find that crazy. And so I think um, if we're going to, if we're going to have commercials that can speak to these sort of substances and tell you about the side effects, then, you know, I, well, like, when are we going to see, um, you know, like, I feel like cannabis kind of deserves a place among all of that. Perhaps that's a lofty idea, but um, right. maybe so one day. <laughs> side effects may include euphoria, um, exactly. you know, a sense of well-being, um, you know, a good nap. Uh, Perhaps the munchies, not the worst thing. <laughs> truth in advertising, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So your next book, um, mm -hmm. when can we look for it? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's going to be in the works for a while I would say probably at, not at least for a, a year and a half because <laughs> um, it's going to be a greater undertaking than this one um, the little book of cannabis took me about 10 months to write um, and that was including research or no I think I had a little bit more research before that but let's say about a year total mm -hmm. um, and I think you know I'd like to uh, take a little bit more time with the next one so yeah I've yeah. done mm -hmm. large writing projects and <laughs> you get insights that you didn't have in the beginning on the third or fourth revision and you know the revising yeah. never stops nope <laughs> it does not <laughs> amanda where can we find you online all right so you can find me on twitter at amanda underscore siebert that's s-i-e-b-e-r-t uh i have the same handle on instagram and then on facebook i uh just type in my name, Dash Journalist, and I've got pink hair, so you'll <laughs> see the, the display photo. That's me. Um, yeah, I, uh, I thank you so much. This has really been a great chat, and I hope uh, that your listeners can get something out of this. And, and if you do, oh, I would love to have some feedback. Please do get in touch with me, tweet me, all of that. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm going to urge everybody to pick up your book. It's not that little. I mean, it's over 200 pages. It's got mm -hmm. a nice little uh, couple of appendices in the back, mm -hmm. including a visual on how to roll a joint. Mm -hmm. um, yes. 
and a couple other things that are very useful too about the endocannabinoid system. So what I like about it is it's very practical. Here are the things you need to know. It doesn't, there's not a lot of ranting in it, um, although that there's a place for that. I think it's really useful and I urge everybody to pick up a copy because um, my copy is dog-eared and has many oh, highlights wow. and uh, I'll be referring to it often. That's great to hear. Can I'm just going to add one more thing about the, the online stuff. If you want to learn more about the book, uh, it's just littlebookofcannabis.com and you can find lists there uh, where to where to purchase it, but it's on Amazon and all that jazz too. Thanks so much, Tom, for the kind words. I think it's great that your copy is dog-eared. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. Well, thanks so much, Tom. Um, keep in touch and I hope we'll chat soon. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.